Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Pekarsky Political Power Hour. I'm Michael Pekarsky, and before we get into the show today, I would just like to go over just quickly the uh, the doctrine and the methods of what uh, this show exactly is going to be for all you people watching the podcast right now. So, myself and my co-host, Iggy Fomparosa, will go over our opinions on current events and news in a public radio-style dialogue, uh, and possibly uh, in the future we will have people um, that go over our um, and, and call in to the show. But right now we don't have the, uh, the studio due to COVID-19, so we're doing it in a, in a podcast-style method. Um, but you will still be able to reach in, reach out, and, uh, and call in uh, through our, um, and give us feedback through our email. Uh, and it's T-H-E-P-P-P-H-W-C-U-A at gmail.com. Again, it's T-H-E-P-P-H-W-C-U-A at gmail.com. That way you can reach out to us and give us any kind of feedback. So um, the scope of this show is mostly going to cover uh, some national, local, D.C., and international issues that would interesting, especially to uh, young people like us. And uh, we plan on covering a little bit of everything then, a little bit of variety here. And without further ado, um, I would just like to say, uh, let's, let's go over, um, just like generally, let's go over who we are. Uh, so Iggy, would you like to take that? Hi, I'm glad to be on board on this podcast, um, Mike Bukarski, and so a little bit about me. Um, I was born in Miami, and I started getting into politics when I first interned for a state representative, and then after that, um, my brother uh, graduated from American University uh, with a major in politics. And so that he had a huge influence on me um, up to that point. And so I applied for Catholic University because of its location. It's located in D.C. And what better place to study politics than in D.C.? And so I chose Catholic University. And my ideology is very uh, straightforward. It's uh, populism. Um, just to toss it back to you, Mike Pekarski, a, a little bit about you. Of course, of course. Um, so I, I, I would agree. Uh, I, I'm in much in the same vein um, as pop populist, but I, a progressive populist. I am from Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I've, I've really been interested in politics, uh, my, much like Iggy, through high school uh, and came to D.C. for much of the same reasons. Um, but as you can see, um, he's on the college Republicans, I'm on the college Democrats, and really, hopefully, with this show, we will be able to pretty much at least give a fair and balanced take, um, if not come to a, uh, a nonpartisan conclusion on some of the issues of, of today. So with that, I'd say we should probably get into the news of the week for our first week here. And the first thing that we found was um, it was an NPR article, and it's pretty much going over, and this is a huge event that's happening right now, is the... Um, <clears throat> it's. Uh, it's the it's the supreme it's the appointment of the Supreme Court Justice uh, Amy C. Barrett by the Trump administration. Now, recently, after following the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a prominent uh, uh, liberal uh, on the court, um, just a week ago, um, the Trump uh, administration has recently uh, appointed uh, her uh, to be verified by the Senate. Uh, 
and the Judiciary Committee will go over uh, uh, the, her on October 12th. And this is going to be a massive partisan fight is what uh, is largely expected with uh, Mike Davis of the Article 3 Club, who is a pro-presidential uh, nomination in this case, saying they, that Republicans are going to, quote, take off the gloves, put, the brass, put on the brass knuckles, and punch back on the left's attack on President Trump's next Supreme Court nominee, a fight that will make Kavanaugh's look like a walk in the park. So there's really um, both conservative and liberal think tanks are gearing up for this and lobbying um, their uh, respective uh, candidates um, to make sure that um, it's going to be as tough a fight as possible because um, Ms. Barrett's uh, affiliation is uh, that she worked on um, the late Supreme Court Justice Anton Scalia's court um, and saying, quote, his judicial philosophy is mine too, end quote. And just to give uh, any listeners um, some background on it, um, Mr. Scalia was a strict constitutionalist. He self-professed that. Um, and a lot of his court decisions um, were uh, opposed gay rights, abortion, and affirmative action, therefore making him quite a uh, consistent uh, conservative on the court. Um, and specifically, um, the person who, a person of interest who, who will be on that uh, Senate Judiciary Committee for the appointment is Senator Kamala Harris of California, Joe Biden's running mate. Um, and that's going to prob- probably make this even more of a contentious fight than ever because now you will have um, the combined uh, ideological battle of the Trump administration versus the, uh, the uh, person on the ticket for president of the United States. What do you think about that, Iggy? Well, I definitely think that the conservative base specifically the evangelical base in America, <clears throat> they're definitely backing this nominee, right? Amy Barrett, she says that she's, she's got the philosophy of Justice Scalia, enough said. And also, you got to think about the Federalist Society, right? They're totally backing uh, this nomination. And as of right now, I think there, there were voters in America that really weren't motivated to vote for Trump. Think about that LGBTQ Supreme Court ruling over the summer. Um, and Gor- Justin Gorsuch, they, everyone thought that, you know, uh, Gorsuch, I mean, Gorsuch was appointed by President Donald Trump. And the evangelicalists, they, they were happy about that appointment. But you look at the LGBTQ Supreme Court ruling over the summer, um, they weren't happy about the, that decision. And so I feel like this is a, a moment of redemption for President Donald Trump because now, now more than ever, you're going to see evangelicalists motivated to vote for Trump like they did in 2016. Um, so this is very significant, you know. Just weeks before election, you know, this, this position is, is vacant. And if Republicans, say what you will about them, if the Republicans can... <clears throat> appoint this uh, nominee and put it, and put her into the Supreme Court, they could potentially overturn Roe versus Wade, just <clears throat> overturn same-sex marriage. There's a wide range of things. And most importantly, Roe versus Wade. They're keen on overturning Roe versus Wade. And so I think if you're a Republican, you should be feeling very happy. But if you're not, if you're a Democrat or a liberal in general, you, you, yeah feeling a little bit uh, 
angry right now. I, I would agree. I would, I would completely agree there because it also shows that um, a, lot of, a lot of liberal groups are uh, mobilizing over this specifically because of that um, hot ideological take because the whole institution of the court uh, would be that, um, that, that it should be uh, largely independent and free from ideology. But it seems as though um, this person seems to be ideologically consistent with conservatism. They're, they're, it's, not very, it's not very moderate at the very least. Um, as well as that it will um, over it will pretty much it will continue because um, now the, the courts have a uh, conservative skew to it it's going to only increase that um, under Trump alone there have been three uh, Supreme Court nominations that he just had in within his presidency alone um, the most the most recently uh, the one over Brett Kavanaugh and the Brett Kavanaugh affair was a was a drawn out affair and this is going to be probably even more so. However, um, I do think that um, it's, it's, ve it's going to be very hard for, uh, for Democrats and for uh, Senate Democrats to, um, to get the votes, ultimately, to, um, it, to get the votes to overturn such an idea, and if it, if it passes through, um, as uh, the nuclear option uh, has been, uh, already been used for, uh, for, for justice and uh, for justice appointments and for judge appointments. Uh, that obviously began with uh, Majority Leader Harry Reid in 2013 uh, using it uh, to break the filibuster for President Obama's uh, judicial nominees. Um, and that uh, pretty much opened up the floodgates because the nuclear option is that uh, it turns what was once a, and you need 60 votes to overturn a um, a possible uh, uh, ruling, or, or it, it, you need sixty votes to uh, to appoint a judge, and you need 60, 60 votes. So you need a, a super majority. You need a bipartisan effort to uh, need a bipartisan effort to push through uh, this um, this person. But Harry Reid, uh, again in twenty thirteen, to work with the Obama administration limited that to a just 51 votes so only a partisan advantage which has to, which has ultimately bit democrats and liberals uh, uh right back uh, the hand that fed them because it seems as though um it's it's been used against democrats more than anyone because obviously um <clears throat> you use they use the nuclear option for this um and it's just been continuously used by Republicans in every single one of these. So it has really, the, the court systems have really become partisanized ever since uh, this, this decision. Um, so now uh, there will, uh, there's not going to be the same kind of uh, bipartisanship that you'd see at least to try to make the person as moderate as possible um, as you've seen in the past. So, yeah. I would like to think that Part, uh, politics has become so polarized that it's, I mean, whether this nominee is moderate, conservative, or liberal, it doesn't really matter in the end. I think it's just too late for that, or yeah, that as it is. Um, but going back to what you were saying, um, I think that this sets a new precedent. Um, I think that in 2016, you heard what Mitch McConnell said. <clears throat> Senate Majority Leader, he said that, like, oh, we should hold on to uh, in nominating Merrick Garland in 2016 until after the election. And you look fast forward to now, 
it's totally uh, he's, he's going back on what he was saying you know um, and so I think it's total hypocrisy um, but I think politics is dirty you know this is how politics is and so he's got to deal with it I guess but um, I think that the nuclear option is just one step forward to like ending the filibuster I think that is inevitable um, so yeah and I, I agree with that because Merrick Garland, um, they, a lot, a lot of what's being said um, to that that blocked Merrick Garland back, back in 2016. He was uh, appointed by uh, the Obama administration on March 16th, uh, 2016. Uh, what 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 the uh, what the Republicans had since they had the majority in the Senate, um, they said it was too close to the uh, election. So for it, so it would be overly politicized, um, and that was that was months and months before. Uh, the election, but now you have an instance where it's it's even closer. So the justification, really, I would say, doesn't doesn't work in the same way because it's even it's even closer to the election now than when it was in twenty sixteen. It's just a it's just a almost a month away at this point. Is it unfair? It could be. It seems it seems like it's unfair, but it's not written in the constitution, right? So. They can appoint a Supreme Court justice right now if they wanted to. So, but of course they have to go through the procedures, right? The hearings, in order to for the Senate to approve uh, uh, President Trump's uh, uh, nominee. But um, I I think it's perfectly fine because uh, the Republicans, like I said, this politics has been so polarizing. So uh, I think it. For the Republicans, they, they, it, it, it's a bet that they're willing to take because they're concerned about you know, the White House, if, if President Trump is going to get reelected, if they're even going to be able to keep the Senate. Um, I'm pretty sure they know that they're not going to get back the House. So a lot is on the line right now for Republicans. So, so much is at stake that they can't afford to... Uh, Drop this opportunity, and I agree. I and I would say actually it would be the same thing with Democrats as well. There's, I, I mean, you have, uh, I would I would say lukewarm support within the Democratic Party. Obviously, between the progressive wing and uh, and the more centrist wing of the party, and that's a lot of that ideology will be will be pretty much bended in the fact that they will now be wanting to vote. Uh, they'll be wanting to vote. Um, for the Supreme Court nominee, uh, if it happens at all, because again, since since the nuclear option has been used, um, it's it's going to be very hard for uh, the minority party, that's the Democrats at this point, to, to to put up a stiff resistance. However, at the very at the very least, I find for liberals, uh, perhaps a silver lining in this in this uh, case would be that um, you it will be it will be like almost must see TV. Um, because you're going to have Senator Kamala Harris interviewing uh, Supreme, uh, Mr. Trump's uh, Supreme Court nominee. So um, you're at least going to have at least uh, high accountability, and it's going to enter, it's, it will most likely energize both bases uh, coming into this election. Um, and I would say that that is at least a silver lining uh, to the whole issue is that you you will then be able to see and you can judge your representatives based and your senators based on uh, what happens in this because again this is going to not just be nationally this is going to also be down ticket if if you have any if you have a 
senator who is on the justice uh, or the yeah the judiciary committee. You, you will definitely be watching this, and you'll be watching with your vote ready. Um, so this will be probably fresh in the minds of everyone who is going out to vote uh, in November. Just to add one more thing, the Democratic establishment have threatened to get rid of the filibuster if they go through with this uh, process of uh, nominating Amy Barrett. So I just want to let you know that, so just keep that in mind, you know. Um, but the next thing that we were planning on talking about is, of course, uh, Trump's tax returns. Um, it was leaked in the morning on Monday. Um, and just to go through, just go, just to go over what the articles, uh, has is, you know, according to the New York Times, Donald J. Trump paid $750 in federal income taxes in 2016, which is, which was the year he won his presidency. And the first year he was in the White House, he paid no income taxes at all in 10 of the previous 15 years, largely because he... Uh, reported losing much more money than he made. Um, President Trump is beset by losses and hundreds of millions of dollars of debt coming due that he has personally guaranteed. To make matters worse, Donald J. Trump is dealing with a decade-long audit battle with the Internal Revenue Service over if the $72.9 million tax refund was legitimate and that he claimed and even received every even even received after having to declare huge financial losses. With an adverse ruling could cost him more than a hundred million dollars. Ultimately, Mr. Trump has been more successful playing a business mogul than being one in real life. Um, what do you think about that, uh, Mike? Well, I would say that um, it's, it's pretty, I would say it's inexcusable that only $750 in federal income tax um, is should be paid uh, by a, a self-reported uh, 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 someone, a millionaire or a billionaire. Um, I, I would say that that's 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 almost liable to 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 fraud, um, as as he's almost conning the government here. Um, but I would say that that's that seven hundred and fifty dollars is is inexcusable, and anyone who's anyone who works uh, would know that. I mean. Most most people, most average people, don't have to pay for uh they they, they pay for exceedingly more than that uh in their in their income tax, uh and he and he does it through um through declaring bankruptcy and pretty much working through loopholes, um and I'd say that that's pretty inexcusable and of course um that that was the whole reason why he I would say he he kept it secret is because um he uh he, he knew that this would be this is quite shady and I would say unpopular because he he's basically skirting the system here um and he, he, I would say I would say that that's that that's not very good and that's why he didn't release them in 2016 and has refused ever since to even essentially bring up the topic uh what, what do you think I think there's some on the right that uh largely don't believe in these leaked uh, reports by the New York Times. Um, what I think is this, it's very simple. I don't think I, 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 I honestly don't care. I don't, I don't really care at this point in, in, in this year, you know, we have so much to deal with, you know, the you thing about the pandemic, you think about uh, just the race relations. I think there are much more important things to be discussing than, you know, 
President Trump's tax returns. And now if we didn't have the pandemic and uh, the, the, the race relations didn't heat up uh, over the summer and continues on heating up, then I guess this would be much more big deal, much more of a big deal. But think about, go back to 2016, weeks before the election, the Access Hollywood tape was leaked and it just exposed President Trump quoted notoriously of saying, you know, grab him by the P word. And so look how that turned out. He still won in the end. So does it really going to have a huge impact? Uh, I'm very unlikely, I would say. But um, think about it. He's a billionaire. We all know he's a billionaire. I don't know if he's the wealthiest American. And uh, probably not. You know, he's definitely not as rich as as Jeff Bezos or Bill or Bill Gates. You know, those of those likes. But billionaires manipulate the tax code. I think we can all agree on that. I think we, it's it's very simple. This our tax code is just is pretty grossly manipulated by billionaires, just by the ruling class, and so they can get away with it. So I I don't think it's a surprise for anyone, especially coming from uh, President Donald Trump. Um, so, but I think that's why it's so important to to reform our tax code. You know, just we have so many loopholes that benefit those on the very top, you know, and you could argue, oh, well, you know, it's because they know how to just uh, get through these like loopholes and, you know, the middle class and lower class are just not educated in this and in, in taking advantage of the tax loopholes. But really, I mean, I think it's who who benefits the most out of, of out of the tax loopholes. I would say it's it's the wealthy. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think people are going to care. I think people already made up their voters already made up their mind. The electorate, you know, they're prioritizing on other issues rather than this one. So so it should come to no surprise really for anyone. But um, yeah. I would say so, but I mean, like, I mean, just just for just for reference, the average the average person that someone pays in income tax, uh, according to the IRS, is fifteen thousand three hundred twenty two dollars, and compared to compared to President Trump's seven seven hundred and seven hundred and fifty, not not seven hundred fifty thousand, not not seven hundred not seven hundred not seven hundred fifty a thousand here, just seven hundred fifty. Um, I I would say is I would say it's pretty 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 bad, and of course I, I would agree that that the um, we need to reform. Um, this is obvious uh, that that it's a sign that that um, the tax policy needs to be reformed into more a more uh, progressive and a more equal uh, kind of standing uh, with this tax because right now it seems as though um, it, it's it's a it's a difficulty curve in the American workforce is that. Uh, when, when the middle class has the toughest burden uh, of taxes because they uh, do not have the same abilities to outwit uh, the legal maneuverings of, of the U.S. government, um, and the poor uh, are, are sometimes, they're, they're given some, some things to keep them, to try to get them into the middle class, but the middle class is really uh, given the worst deal out of all of this. 
uh, because um, it's they are at the top. They are at the hardest part of the difficulty curve because at the at the top you have people that are making it so much easier uh, that to 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 get away with this kind of stuff and not being able to pay uh, their fair share. And while it might not be the biggest issue of uh, of, of the election, I would say that it's it's at least. Um, something that voters should keep in mind and it should at least be something that should be uh it's at least a point one one of the one of the points in the whole collage of it all of of who people are voting for i just want to add something to this uh topic i think it's i don't know about you mike but i think it's very odd that this came out just a day before the presidential debate i think it's very odd and we should be just like how the Access Hollywood tape came out uh, on Friday, and then on Monday they had that presidential de- debate. And say what you will, pre- President Trump <laughs> just went through with it. He went through the, 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 the hardball questions. And, but I, I think it's very odd that, that this, this was leaked the day before the presidential debate. Um, we don't know the sources, obviously, and of course it's confidential. We don't, the New York Times won't uh, sell out their sources, but uh, yeah, I think it's it, it should tell you something that that I, I I do believe that the mainstream media, yeah, they've always been <clears throat> after Trump, and they'll do anything to take him down. I think. Well, I would say that, uh, but I mean. Again, I, I would say that even even if it is even if they do keep their uh, their 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 sources secret, I mean I would say that's more due to uh, journalistic integrity there. But I mean, of course, there will be more uh, as the situation develops. It only uh, we are recording this on uh, Tuesday, September twenty ninth. Um, so it, it is really uh, the story is really uh, still in development, uh, but it has been reported by uh, the New York Times first. Um, that that this has happened, um, as well as that um, we have not recorded. Uh, we are, we have not we have not yet seen the debates uh, yet at this time. But uh, I imagine he will at least be pressed on them in the debates. But you're going to have to see uh, for next week. Uh, next week's episode will be we will be uh, dissecting uh, the uh, the big debate that's going to happen today. But I I at least expect that this will be brought up, if not uh, gone over by either. Either Joe Biden or uh, President Trump, um, and I guess we will really see uh, the uh, the I was we will see um, the, the the proof um, that will that will come, and we'll see if he does defend this or not. Because we can talk all day about how if it could it could be uh, it could be people working against him, but at the same time, I would say that um, he should at least be pressed on this. We need to know. Um, because I mean, this is this is quite this is quite large. If if this does happen, um, and yeah, I mean, I I expect at least like like we we have the uh, we have the debates up right now. We have the uh, the the topics that we'll discuss. But I expect I expect at least a curveball to be thrown eventually. Yeah. So um, I'm looking right now into the commission on, the commission on presidential debates website into the six topics that they'll be uh, presenting to uh, the candidates. Uh, number one will be Trump and the and Biden records, Supreme Court, COVID nineteen, the economy race and violence in our cities, the integrity of the election. So these are the six topics that they'll be uh, 
be brought up on the first debate, but I honestly think that no matter who wins in the first round of debates, it really won't matter. I think American, the American public have already made up their mind. I, I truly believe in that. I truly believe that they've already made up their mind. Uh, I, I feel like the, the, the debates will have little to no effect on, on, on you know, <clears throat> on whether or not uh, Trump or Joe Biden will just gain <clears throat> a little bit more of a boost in, in, in the polls. But really, it's, these topics are, are brilliant, I, I think. I think they're brilliant. Um, and, of course, the moderator will be Chris Wallace. I I would say that he's he's nonpartisan and he he's he'll strong arm b- uh, both uh, Joe Biden and President Donald Trump. So, mm-hmm. and I, I I expect that that we will we will be watching to see what happens and we'll be watching to see uh, the immediate uh, results of it uh, within the coming days. Um, and now uh, I'd just like to uh, move on from these. This was the uh, the domestic uh, section. How how we're going to format these shows is that we're going to have um, we're going to over, go over domestic uh, issues like a, a, of a national nature. Then we're going to go over local DC news, and then we'll do uh, international uh, news. Uh, so what I so what we found is that um, according to the Washington Post. Uh, that the quote the pandemic has devastated town, downtown DC, and really, um, I've you know I I we've been we we've been me and Iggy have been going out. Uh, I don't know if any of any of the listeners here have, but you know, we've been going on the metros and we've been seeing downtown DC, and I mean really it it it's not bustling. We were down we were there Friday night. We went we went down just downtown uh, to Chinatown Friday night, and there was there was. Barely enough people there. They're saying rush hour is the same way, and it's definitely, definitely nothing like. Uh, I was thinking maybe it's a smaller town than Chicago, but uh, maybe this isn't. Uh, but apparently, this is this is this is true. This is this is a. Uh, it's it's worse than it has been in the past. Um, so because ninety five percent of uh, of downtown DC's one hundred sixty seven thousand office workers uh, are are working. Uh, they're working from home this summer. Uh, and this is according to a uh, recent report uh, from uh, the downtown D.C. Business uh, Improvement District. Um, and uh, here, here's another uh, way to, to, to judge what's happening and, and to kind of gauge what's happening. Quote, about 1,000 people would enter McPherson Square Metro Station throughout the Tuesday after Labor Day, compared with the 15,000 on a weekday before the pandemic. And specifically because Labor Day is supposed to be where, you know, every, everyone gets, especially in D.C., everyone has a federal job pretty much. I mean, the government, government is one of the biggest employers uh, here. Uh, you, you'd think you'd see tons of people out and about, but only a thousand compared to just a, a, a typical weekday before the pandemic. It's really showing that it's a toll. And, um, <clears throat> and John Boardman uh uh, Executive Secretary Treasurer for the Unite Here Local 25, which represents hotel, restaurant, and casino workers in the Washington region, um, says, uh, quote, this is depression-level stuff in our industry. So hotels are getting especially hammered with this, hotels and restaurants. And uh, according, according to uh, Washington Post, uh, more than 9 in 10 union members are still out of work. To this, uh, to to this uh, pandemic, especially down here, 
I think uh, you could say that for all the cities in, in America, cities across America are struggling right now um, with the restrictions, in my opinion. I think we, we need to just open up the economy because sooner or later we're going to have to open up the economy. We can't just let this... let hope for the best, you know, and hope that, you know, the vaccine will come uh, late in, in autumn, you know, I think it's, it's wishful thinking, and we got to just be practical in that we're in a pandemic. And of course, we don't want people to die. But we also don't want people out of jobs, you know, we don't want people to be laid off for Lloyd for Lloyd. Um, so we need to get people back to work. Um, because this can't keep going on, you know, for how long, how long can this keep going on, you know? Um, so, yeah. Mm, I, w- I would agree um, <coughs> that uh, obviously things need to open up, but the, the, I would say that the level of the rate at which they're doing that is what's necessary because they don't want a second comeback of, of a big wave because what's worse than, than anything is if you is increasing the death toll to it. But I would say that... Um, <coughs> I mean, largely what, what, what people can be doing now, especially like, you know, student, students like us and, and people, um, just anyone listening to the show, is that um, I would say they, people need it now more than ever to, to, to buy local and buy union. So, I mean, if you, if you support local businesses and support uh, union activity, um, then that's, that really is, that, that's directly saving people's jobs and, and people's livelihoods, especially because now uh, we are in the middle of, of, of not only uh, the pandemic, but we're in an economic crisis as well, uh, with unemployment being, um, being really, again, as, as John Boardman said, uh, quote, um, depression level stuff, uh, because, and, you know, it's, it's affecting union members especially badly. Uh, so what, what we need to do is that we need to really support, um, labor activity and we need to support, uh, local businesses to keep them, to keep them afloat, you know? And I think, I do think that, that the great time to talk about UBI, universal basic income, I think what better time to be talking about this and thank God that Andrew Yang brought it up in the primaries because he was the only one that was saying something original. All the others were pretty much saying the same thing, but he was bringing, bringing up a, 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 a point that, that was really original. I, cause I, I didn't hear anyone else that was talking about that. Um, so I, I do think that more stimulus checks to, to those who are, um, to, to Americans, um, we need more stimulus spending. Um, because uh, they're struggling right now, they can't pay their rents. You know, they're, they're they can't pay their bills in general. You know, I mean, how much longer do they have to file for unemployment benefits? How much, like, how many times of the day? How many times in the days do, do they have to go to food banks just to to sur- just to survive? You know, just to feed their families. You know, just to put food on the table. You know, yeah. um, so this is probably. We're, we're probably in a, in a depression right now. I don't think people realize this. We are in a depression, you know? This is definitely worse than the financial crisis of 08. Um, so, and this economic recovery won't happen anytime soon. It's going to take probably at least a decade until we'll get things up and running again. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's... <sighs> These are not good times. These are not good times. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would, I would also agree um, that 
U- UBI, it's, it's definitely, I, I'd say it has been uh, largely embraced by uh, the Democratic Party and, and by a lot of people, not, not just the Democratic Party, but I would say by, by a lot of just people in general. Um, it has become a very popular, uh, it's become a very popular at least talking point uh, to go over. Uh, but one of, one of the problems is that, and this was also talked about uh, in, um, in, in the uh, NPR article uh, that we went over first about the appointment to Amy C. Barrett, um, Congress will be going over this. They will be going over their uh, appointment, um, but at the same time, they will just have enough time for the appointment, but they're going to be going on recess without passing a major stimulus pill. So one of, one of the biggest stimulus bills has not been passed yet. Uh, and, and so you're going to, what you're going to see is that um, until, until Congress meets again, you're going to see uh, probably economic numbers get worse, and we will obviously be keeping up with that story. Um, but I yeah. think it just goes to show that they don't actually care about the constituents. You know, they're they're not in session right now; they're in recess. I mean, give me a break. You know, this is absurd. They should be in talks with the White House, the White House administration, you know, the administration, and in and the House Speaker. They should be in talks to pass, you know, stimulus package, or else. <laughs> things are just going to get bad to worse, you know? Um, So people definitely need another stimulus uh, bill to pass, you know? And this, it's just petty partisanship on both, on both sides. It's, it's, it's no time for that right now. There's no time for that. Um, But so the next uh, topic uh, we'll like to, we're going to talk about is um, world news. And so I found one that was quite interesting. It was going, and it's kind of coming back to what you were talking about in DC, uh, the lockdowns. And so I was looking at this article in the Wall Street Journal, and I saw that South Africa's economy shrinks fifty-one percent as lockdown restrictions hurt businesses. Um, it is one of Africa's most developed economies. And is seeing one of the worst quarterly declines in at least a century. What's more is that as of Monday night, the country of 60 million had recorded 639,362 coronavirus cases, the seventh highest caseload globally, and 15,000 deaths. Um, so not only do they have to worry about this decline of their GDP, but they also have to worry about, you know, the cases that just keep on piling up um, in their country. Um, and so here it says South Africa's gross domestic product plummeted by 17.6% um, the second quarter, quarter last year. Um, and the manufacturing industry contracted by an annualized 74.9% output from the imported mining sector plummeted by 73.1%. Transport, storage, and communications decreased by 76.9%. And the trade, catering, and accommodation industry shrank by 67.6%. Uh, one positive that came out, the one positive you could say about this, about the situation in South Africa is that the agriculture, forestry, and fishing sector was the only positive contributor, increasing by 15.1% between April and June. Um, but... South Africa was already entering into entering into the pandemic with a weak economy, um, and it's shrinking more than ever um, for a full year. Um, and South Africa 
here's a quote from the Wall Street Journal. Um, this is by, sorry if I can't pronounce the name, uh, Duma Guabuli, an economist and director of the Center for Economic Development and Transformation in Johannesburg. Quote, South Africa was in a crisis before the coronavirus and there was further decline anticipated, even outside of the virus, which has now become the worst crisis this country has, has ever faced. Think about that, has, has, has ever faced. Um, the government of President Cyril Ramaphosa in April announced a 500 billion rand stimulus package, including a paycheck protection program and a special social grant for the neediest South Africans. To help cushion the blow of the lockdown in July, the country received a $4.3 billion emergency loan from the International Monetary Fund. Um, so yeah, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, just going back to just the lockdown restrictions is kind of related to that, right? Mm -hmm. I, w I mean, again, I, I would say, and again, much like, uh, much like uh, in the DC uh, story in South Africa, um, it you know the people who are hurt the worst are are the average workers are the are the average are the average people and as well as that I would say that it, it's 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 you can you can make the the connections between South Africa and here in that the, the already the income inequality in South Africa was uh, was was is very high and a lot of that a lot of that um, has been talked about because of um, it's been because of after apartheid um, there have been um, uh, economic inequalities between uh, between um, Africans and and, and whites uh, there, um, and so that this will only make things worse in South Africa, uh, as you will have um, the the common people there will be hurt the worst by by these contractions, and it's in and it's things in like manufacturing and stuff like that that are usually better the best organized, um, and they and they will be hurt the most, and that's that's. Honestly, and honestly, what we must, what people have got to do is that um, I would say that um, you know support things like 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 the like the IMF and the World Bank in these cases uh, that 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 help and the UN that 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 directly helps these. Uh, well, while the IMF ha and the World Bank have have their issues in this case um, to help with the pandemic, I would say are are are, are vital um, them to to help restimulate. Um, uh, that economy. <clears throat> Hopefully, this you know the stimulus package uh, the government is thinking of passing, and which would include a paycheck protection program, and 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 on top of that, they have that four point three billion emergency loan from the International Monetary Fund, which will definitely uh, shore up like some economic relief for uh, for the country, and uh, because. <laughs> Um, because the unemployment right now, as I'm reading it, is is some say some suspect it's at thirty percent. Um, that's 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 more than the great. De that's like more than Great Depression numbers. Yeah, right? that's, I think that's, it was like twenty four percent. Yeah, more or less. And yeah. that's that's a third. I mean, look at that. That's that's insane. So uh, just just take it to in perspective. I mean, and the unemployment rate uh, in America is 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 relatively high uh, but just compared to south africa's unemployment rate it's 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 just unbelievable it's it's a shock that it's so shocking that 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 that's the case for 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 a country that's 
a developed or if not the most developed country in entire continent of Africa it's just it's it's sad to see that happen to uh, a developed country like South Africa which it's hard to to say which are which is hard to say to about for like the other countries in Africa you know it's not like all the countries in Africa are as developed as South Africa so it's you know you, you would think that South Africa serves as a beacon of hope for for the other countries that uh, it shares its borders with so yeah um, yeah I would say that's that's the end of our uh, my I, I would just like to add one last thing that I mean even even if even compared to but even even um, countries with with similar developments in in the continent of Africa like Nigeria um, is is one is one of the most um, developed countries in Africa that their their coronavirus cases have actually been going down um, and it's just been particularly South Africa that's that's been it's been caused by this Africa has really been able to um, dodge the bullet and that's been through the help of uh, one one the World Health Organization has been working uh, within there as well as that um, <clears throat> Largely, um, you look at you look at a lot of the cases in Africa, and they've been actually su- success stories. But unfortunately, um, South Africa appears to be one of one of the ones in a- one of the only ones in Africa that have been um, that have been unfortunately, tragically, um, not so not so uh, not so um, good. And I would say that it's obviously it is it is bad. But but even within Africa, there are I would say uh, places like Nigeria are, are are closest to success stories. Obviously, not zero, but very few places are are at zero. Um, and but they've they've been really uh, largely, thankfully, able to skirt the uh, um, um, the worst compared to Nigeria and America. And one of the largest reasons I would say it is like that's the re- because places like America. In South Africa, they they opened up, they they reopened the economy way too. They opened it too early, and that's how you got that second. Uh, that's how you got that second uh, wave back. Um, but places like Nigeria, they were able to flatten the curve, um, and it, it's largely been to their to their success and to their credit. Um, and while obviously no, no, not very few countries are out of the out of the woods yet on, on this issue, especially you see. Uh, supposed su- uh, success stories in places like, uh, like 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 in Europe, uh, having a second comeback, and hopefully, um, hopefully places like Nigeria doesn't doesn't have an issue like that occurring soon. Um, but you um, you see that you can never really be too careful with this until a vaccine develops. Um, but, but that's the question: when 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 are we certain that like that it'll be a become it'll be a right around the corner you know we don't we don't know that yet we don't know that yet so i've heard that i've heard some reports that it's that they'll that they're going to produce a vaccine late in autumn you know so but we don't know if if it's gonna we know that's in its final stages right the vaccine um but we don't know if it's gonna work out in the end you know and is everyone going to be issue the vaccine I, I would not think so I, I wouldn't think so right so I don't know but I would say the silver lining here is that you should and, and, and the call to action really should be that 
you should um you should support uh should support local businesses and businesses um that are unionized in these times and and support uh unionization efforts uh in the, in these times because people uh really need it the most now um if you have any time if you have time to uh, to i would i would i would um try your best to uh you know um do stuff and also the frontline workers you know time and time after they they've they've been busting their butt just to uh just help those in need and especially those who are who've contracted uh, covid-19 so yeah they're in the hospitals you know uh, treating these these patients so we should definitely uh uh praise those for praise the frontline workers for for what they what they've been able to uh, uh what they what they have to go through you know so yeah are you looking for a better way to connect with members of the CUA community are you behind on the university happenings check out SIDPOD, the podcast where your community directors share what is going on in their daily lives and talk about the important things happening in residence life and the university in general get the staff's perspective on things and join in the conversation with your own ideas We're so excited to be working in collaboration with WCUA. New episodes are posted every Wednesday, so be sure to check back for new episodes every week. Well, thank you. Uh, Well, then, this is going to be our show for today. Um, We plan on doing it every Tuesday, and we plan on releasing every Tuesday. Uh, That might be... uh, That might... um, be subject to changes. This is our pilot episode, but uh, feel free again. Uh, if if you have any comments, concerns, or or things um, that you want us to go over, or you want us to talk either in private or you want to talk talk about it on the show, uh, email us at t h e p p p h w c u a at gmail dot com. Again, t h e p p p h WCUA at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to us tonight on, on the on the Pekarsky Political Power Hour, and uh, we we I we um we're happy to hear any kind of feedback or any kind of uh, comments or concerns um about the show, and uh, and we look forward to uh, to gracing uh, to gracing your ears uh, very soon. Yeah, and take care and t- and stay safe.